0: If you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Sorry that you have to uh, have the, the brightness of the glory behind me today. And that I have to look at sunglasses. It's hard to see you're convicted when you have sunglasses on. So, speaking of being convicted, that's what happens to Peter in the passage for today. We saw the the prediction of it a few weeks ago, and today we have the the actual episode where Peter denies Jesus. It's Luke twenty-two. It'll be verses fifty-four to sixty-two. So, a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus predict. Peter's denial, and also promised restoration and even usefulness on the other side of repentance. So there's even a lot of hope for us as we enter into Peter's denial today. And then two weeks ago, we saw Jesus praying in the garden and helping prepare his disciples for what's coming, and specifically telling them, pray so that you will not enter into temptation. And then last Sunday, as Aaron led us, we saw Jesus face Betrayal and arrest for us. This week, he experienced dis- experiences denial by us. Sure, it's Peter, but it's also us, isn't it? Even before we get to the text, the big idea this morning is that we must be ready to stand with Jesus. We must be ready to stand with Jesus. Let's read now from Luke 22, verse 54. They seized him. This is after Jesus' arrest in the garden. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that bitter tears are not the end of Peter's story and need not be the end of ours. And so we ask that you would work. We thank you that you have revealed yourself most clearly in your Son, and you revealed him to us through the pages of your word. And so we ask that as we look into it today, Spirit, would you open our eyes to see what you would have us to see? Where we need to repent, would you help us to turn from our sins, to weep bitterly, to confess? to seek your forgiveness, but then assured of it, would you help us to walk in a different direction? By your grace, by your strength, would you use what happens in these next moments together and in all of our gathering today to be part of making us into the people that you want us to be for your glory while we live on this earth? We ask for your help now, knowing that you love to give it. In Jesus' name, amen. When we uh, used to live in South Carolina, this is now getting to be a long time ago, one of our pastors there, so this is like mid-2000s, the timing doesn't matter at all. uh, One of our pastors, every once in a while, when he would be doing the announcements at at the church, like Richie was just doing, or sometimes at the beginning of a sermon, he would, he would ask us, as a congregation, he would ask us a question. Say, how many of you had an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus this week? And he'd say, go ahead, you know, raise your hands. And, you know, Jonathan would get to raise his hand. And maybe one or two other people, Jonathan wasn't in our church in Clemson, but just as a connection to earlier. All right, good. One or two people would raise their hand, right? I had an opportunity. And then he would stop and he would say, maybe you didn't understand the question. I didn't ask how many of you took the opportunity. I asked how many of you had an opportunity. And every one of your hands should be up. And we're all like, oh, he got me. And somehow he would be able to do it again like three months later and he'd get us all again. How quickly we would forget Almost as quickly as Peter runs away from saying, I'm going to go with you even to prison and death, to, I don't know that guy. What are are we even, who's, what are, why are we sitting around this fire and is there something going on in there? This bold, brave disciple who on Sunday at church is like, yep, Jesus, he's the best. I follow him, I worship him. Just a few hours later, it's going to, don't know that guy. And the thing is, we want to think we're different. <laughs> We'd like to think we're different. We'd like to be different. <laughs> and often, we're not. We have opportunities to stand with Jesus when it would cost us something. We have opportunities to speak up to people we know don't agree with us. That's, that's kind of what the point is. There's going to be a whole lot of people who don't agree with us and may not even think Well, of us, but we are the ones who, as Jonathan shared with us earlier, we're the ones who know the good news and have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You love to tell people about your favorite restaurant. I do too. You even know what it is. We love to tell people about new things we find that we enjoy you have to have this. This is so good. You need to share in my joy. But we have the best news of all. We have the deepest and longest lasting joy imaginable. Are we ready to say we belong to him? Are we prepared. But first, let's go back and see, okay, what was happening here in Luke 22? You're like, man, you're getting in the application early today. I'm not ready for this. None of us really are, but Jesus knows it's coming. That's what's so neat about this, right? Peter wasn't ready at all, and my Bible's not ready to handle the slight breeze right now either. Okay, The Lord had told him, you will deny me. And he didn't remember until after the deed was done. So Jesus has been arrested now. And he's kind of gone down without a fight. And we know from another gospel that Peter was indeed the one who raised his sword to defend Jesus. Say, they're coming for you, Jesus. I've got you. But then Jesus surprises Peter and probably everyone by putting the man's ear back, showing incredible compassion, and showing clearly, uh, we're not here to fight about this, I'm going with you. So the disciples run. The shepherd is struck, and the sheep are scattered. They run. We know from the Gospel of John that one of the disciples, most likely John, followed Jesus and actually was in there with him during his trials. And then we know from here and the other gospels that Peter was the only other disciple that stayed even in the neighborhood with Jesus. Everyone else is gone. They all ran away. And so there's a way in which we're ready for this to be. Oh, this is the denial. What a terrible follower of Jesus. He's one of the two that was brave enough to be anywhere near what was happening. But he's following Jesus. At a distance. And he ends up distancing himself entirely from Jesus during the night. He's following at a distance. It's not safe to be too close to Jesus in this moment, right? He can kind of see this is probably not going to be good. That didn't look like a good crowd there. This doesn't seem like a legit trial going on now. He had his sword ready in the garden, but it seems now that he's seen which way the wind is blowing. Jesus is going down. Maybe it's not such a good idea to be associated with him right this minute. It looks like there's going to be a real cost. And so he's following at a distance. He's watching. I want to see what happens to Jesus, but not too close. And then one of the servant girls, that's most likely what this whole group of people was, sitting around the fire. There isn't yet the big crowd. We'll see that in coming weeks, the big crowd calling out, crucify him, crucify him. This is middle of the night. Remember, they came straight from the garden at the high priest's house. And we're not totally sure exactly who the high priest was, whether Annas or Caiaphas. Annas was the father-in-law who had been the high priest, and now Caiaphas is officially the high priest. It's possible they even lived in the same house anyway, so it doesn't really make a difference as far as the place for what happens. But Peter's there. There's not a big crowd yet, but there is a small group around the fire warming themselves on this cool spring evening. And a servant girl says, I've seen you with him. It's like, nah. You can't have I don't even know that guy. And then later, the man says, No, oh, you're you're one of them. You're definitely one of them. It's like I am not. And then even later, so this didn't this didn't happen like all at once. Even later, it says about an hour later. So I'm saying, no, I know you're one of them. You're from up north. You have that funny accent. We hear about the accent in Matthew's account. Your accent betrays you. It gives you away. You're from Galilee. You're one of those backwoodsmen. You're a fisherman. Kind of like you think today someone else's region, because we don't have accents here, right? But people from other places have accents. You know, that's what everyone thinks where they live? People from the South don't think they have Southern accents, they think you talk weird. Am I right? That's right. Big amen from over there. Kim's mom's here today, from Georgia. Right, and and you don't think you have an accent either. You think "water" is the right way to say it. And we're okay. I'm gonna stop. Right there, we go. It's like get him out of here. Where's he from anyway? Right. So the point is, so he's like, I know what that is. That's water. I think that might have even been one of your kids. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. You're teaching them the right way. He's not. <laughs> all right, so there's going to be a debate in the Gannon household for the rest of the day. But they say, I know you. You guys are all those northerners. Then in The hicks were in the north then. You guys are all those northerners, and you're definitely one of his guys. And he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know if he changed his accent to say that. But, I mean, this is, the, this is Peter. They'll all deny you, Lord, but never me. They'll run out on you, Lord, but I'm with you. They'll scatter, but I've got you. And as he is saying, Jesus, who? What are we we doing here? While the words are still coming out of his mouth, Jesus' prediction comes true. The rooster crows. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter is struck to the heart. He goes out and weeps bitterly. I wonder what kind of a look it was. Jesus looked at Peter. If, if I had been denied by somebody, if one of my best friends was like, "Ah, it seems like Rob's in trouble. I don't uh, I mean, we both live around here, but I, I've never really talked to that guy much. I don't know him. It's like, "Come on, man. What are you doing?" Right? We do that for much lesser denials. And we have a glare. I'm told I have a look. I have to work on it, I think. But we can glare and go, what is going on? What are you doing? But I don't think that was Jesus' look. Jesus knew what he was doing. He'd already predicted it. And yes, there's deep hurt in that look. There's a way in which it's a look that accuses, but I don't think it's a glare. I don't think it's a scowl. I think it's a look that knows. It's a look that cares about Peter. A look that longs to see him repent. A look that longs to see him restored. And I'm guessing all that because we've already seen Jesus' heart for Peter when he predicted the denial. His focus wasn't on the denial says yes you will deny me satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that your faith would not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers so i don't think jesus glared at peter i think it was a knowing look a look of care a look of compassion a look of love, and maybe that one's even harder to take, right? Because when I glare at you, you go, what? Right? Husbands and wives, you understand this. You start to be a little harsh with each other, and what happens? It's shock of all shocks. You get harshness back. It's like, where did this come from? (laughs) Are you paying attention? And so we tend to rise with hardness toward hardness. But when there's a look, when we know we've done something really wrong and the look we get is care and compassion, we don't know what to do. We're undone. And Peter here is undone. He is struck to the heart, to the core of his being. And he goes out and weeps bitterly thankfully that is not the end of his story his story does not end with bitter tears because these are tears of true repentance and it's important to distinguish remorse and repentance here because judas felt bad about what he did too eventually there's some big differences between what they did. Judas was very calculated. He planned this. He's like, here, give me this much money and I'll give him to you. And he felt bad when he realized what was happening. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. And that remorse was not true repentance. It, it drove him to despair and even further away from Jesus in a very final way. But for Peter, who caved in the moment, who thought he was ready but found out he wasn't. These were bitter tears of repentance. And repentance doesn't stop at sorrow over sin. It's not just sorry for being caught. It's not just sorry for how much it cost us. It's realizing what we have done to the one we have offended. That we have sinned against our Lord and Christ. We have sinned against our Savior. And he realizes what he has done. He repents. He experiences sorrow and regret. But it's not something that leads him away from Christ. It's something that leads him to Christ. As Jesus gently restores him and brings him back and welcomes him home and says, I still have things For you to do for me. So that's what's going on here. What is the timeless truth? I think you can already see there's a a whole lot. (laughs) But while we probably won't face the pressure that Peter felt in this moment, and while he wasn't even facing the pressure that Jesus was facing in this moment, we will face pressure to deny Jesus. It won't be the same as Peter. It won't be the same as Jesus. It won't be the same as those who are being saved in Muslim nations. It won't be the same as those that we've heard about down through the generations of those who were standing on a bonfire that hadn't been lit yet. And they say, here's your last shot. Say you don't believe in Jesus. Say Jesus is not Lord. Say Jesus is not the only Way to God. And countless martyrs said, No, I won't say no. I will say yes. I belong to Him and I will die with Him. Odds are, most of us, if not all of us, will not face that moment. But It will cost us to stand with Jesus. And the Bible expects this. It's not just here with Peter, right? There is a shame associated with following Jesus. Jesus himself said in the Gospels, the servant is not greater than his master. If they've rejected me, they will reject you. This has been the normal situation for Christianity. So if we've experienced a time here in which there's actually advantage to calling yourself a Christian, that, historically, is the anomaly. And it's not really the way it is anymore, even in our own country. Peter anticipated a cost here and decided, at least in this moment, that Jesus wasn't worth it. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has borne the real cost for Peter and for us. Peter's failure was not final because he received full forgiveness through faith in Jesus. And failure does not have to be final for us because we receive full forgiveness through faith in Jesus. The yes will stumble and fall. Every one of us has, every one of us will. But what this whole gospel has been leading to is that Jesus would go to the cross to pay for denials like Peter's. This is exactly what he was going to the cross to take care of. And so for Peter, it becomes very real when he's quoting later in 1 Peter from Isaiah 53. And saying that he took our sins in his own body on the tree. When he's telling us that he was wounded for our transgressions. That he was crushed for our iniquities. You think he may be thinking about one or two in particular? Have we gotten so used to the good news that it's just like, sure, I mean, Jesus died for sin. Yeah, have mercy on me. I I mean, I guess I sort of, I might need it. I might be one of those who needs it. I I mean, I know I am. For Peter, there's something he would never forget. But it was something that didn't have to hold him back. It was something that was forgiven. It was something that was taken care of. When we're talking about he died for my sin, it's, it's yeah, the actual ones. Not just that we're sort of, Sinners, He died for the real things that we have done that deny him. And we see the beautiful power of the gospel on display, right? And we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. We think about Peter's fearful denial here after his bold proclamation. But then in Acts, on the other side of repentance, of restoration, when the Spirit Comes, Peter becomes willing to suffer with Jesus, not just in words but in action. He's willing to suffer without fighting back. The guy who's like, "Okay, I'm going to use the world's ways to get your job done, Jesus," and then it's like, "Well, if Jesus isn't about that, I don't know who I am anymore, and I don't know what my connection to Him is anymore." Now, in Acts, on the other side of the cross, have been forgiven. Restored, commissioned, given the Spirit. He speaks boldly and suffers greatly for Jesus. And then he writes us a letter. 1 Peter is basically a manual on suffering for Jesus who suffered for us. So as we think about how to respond to him, are you prepared to stand with Jesus? Am I prepared? prepared to stand with Jesus. We must be ready to stand with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is we stick close to Jesus. We stick close to Jesus. Are we following Jesus at a distance? I'm still kind of checking in on him but I'm not sure I want to really identify with him. Like, I'll come to church on Sunday. That's still pretty respectable, but like through the week, I'm expected to kind of leave my faith at at church or in my house. I'm not supposed to bring it to work. I'm not supposed to bring it out to the street. I'm not supposed to bring it to the restaurant. Are we following Jesus at a distance? As part of responding to him, we want to stick close with him. We want to commune with him. We want to be talking with him in prayer and reading his word, being reminded, as Jonathan shared with us earlier, being reminded of the amazing truths of the gospel. How are we going to know what to say when we have an opportunity? It's when it's already in us. It's not memorizing a script. It's not saying, okay, this person believes this, Here, here's their belief, and then here's where the Bible answers that. That's good as far as it goes. That's, that's But how do we be ready for that moment? We'd be walking in the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And it's not just going to keep us from active sin. It's going to keep us from missing the opportunities that God puts in front of us. And so we walk closely with Him. If we are hyper-aware... Of the full forgiveness that we've received and the great cost that it took for our sins to be paid for, we're going to be ready for the moments that come for us, for the opportunities that come. So, stick close to Jesus and closely related to that, prepare through prayer and by pursuit of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Prepare through prayer. Remember, Jesus in the garden had told his disciples more than once, pray that you will not enter into temptation. Peter wasn't prepared for his moment. He had been sleeping instead of preparing. And so as as we think about the rhythms of our life, and I know the rhythms of our life are all messed up this year and different than they usually are. And I've had conversations with some of you about like, you know, the the conversations at work and the going out to lunch and the hanging out, you know, after a meeting and having conversation, those aren't happening the same way. And so, yes, your witness at work might look a little different if you're working from home now. But there are other opportunities. So if you are at home now, like Jonathan shared earlier, you're home more and so perhaps might also be your neighbors and you have opportunities that you didn't before when everyone was doing a long commute and you're getting back late and then getting in and eating and going to bed and doing it all over again the next day. So with the rhythms of our lives as different as they may be and as unique as they are even across people here, there's some of you who are working uh, in person every day, some of you are doing hybrid schedules, some of you are home all the time. Do we pray when we go to work? Do we pray when we go to school? Do we pray when we go to the PTA meeting? Do we pray when we go to the restaurant? Do we pray when we go to the grocery store? Do we pray before the Zoom meeting? Do we pray before we hit send on the Facebook comment? And not just praying that things will go well today, that we'll meet our deadlines, that we'll pass our classes, that we'll have safety when we drive. Those are all fine things, but are we praying that we would be prepared for the moments that the Lord has prepared for us, that we wouldn't miss them? Peter was obviously not prepared for this moment, even though he thought that he was. All right, we referenced a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. So we don't want to have a bold proclamation about I'm going to be ready. I'm going to tell someone about Jesus this week. When it's going to cost me something socially, I'm going to speak up for Jesus for sure. It's not that. The, the goal of this isn't for all of us to resolve. I'm never going to not deny Jesus. It's I have to have him. I have to have his forgiveness and his grace, and he has provided it for us completely. And I love him, and I want to walk with him. As we're walking with him, that's when we will stand with him. I mentioned a few minutes ago Peter's kind of manual on suffering. 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17, he, he writes this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed have no fear of them. You can almost hear him saying, like, like I did by the fire. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We need to be ready. And the way that we will be ready is not by memorizing a script. It's by knowing we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ's work alone for us. We honor Christ the Lord as holy. But it's also important how we make this defense. See, a few of us can get excited and go like, yep, stand with Jesus. I am on it. I'm standing with him all over the place. Just watch me. Watch me take them down. When we're standing with Jesus, are we skipping the part about gentleness and respect and convincing ourselves that that's okay because the other side is so evil? Jesus doesn't say if the other side is evil, then you can let loose. That's not what Peter wrote here. And Peter's the guy who is ready to do that, right? He's the one who brings the literal sword to the fight. And he's the one saying, be ready to give an answer, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And let's make sure we're actually standing with Jesus. Are you more prepared to defend your preferred political party, especially now, or candidate? Are you more prepared to defend them than you are to stand with Jesus? Sometimes the way we defend even people who are right about something, by the way we do it, we can actually deny Jesus. You say, what do you mean? I'm actually standing for him. Well, how do we deny him, right? So on Sundays, we would never, right? We're here, we're declaring him boldly. We're here together, praying in the Spirit. But how is it that we deny him Monday to Saturday? Well, it could be the way that Peter does here. Denial essentially is acting like we don't know him. It's saying no about Jesus. And that can look like it does here, hiding the fact that we're a follower of Jesus. And some of us, depending on your profession or your position in your company, will have that kind of temptation. Or even on your block, depending on what you know about the religion or politics of your block. can look like hiding the fact that we're a follower of Jesus or that even we know anything about him. It's like, oh, Christians, what? Jesus, Who? But it can also look like denying him with our actions, not acting like a follower of Jesus. That is another way we deny him. That he says, I'm the Lord, and I've told you to live like this. And we go, yeah, but that doesn't apply here, and here's my reasons why. It's easy to say that to another believer who challenges us about something, It'll be harder to say that to Jesus. We are to say with our lips, yes, that Jesus is Lord of all. And we are to show with our lives that Jesus is Lord of us. So that, as Peter wrote, when we're slandered, when they lie about us, they will see our good works. We must say with our lips that Jesus is Lord of all and show with our lives that Jesus is Lord of us. The bad news is every one of us fails at this. Every one of us has failed at this this week. But when we repent, when we fall, we can repent. Because failure does not have to be final. Now there are some scary words in 1 Timothy 2 about if we deny the Lord, he will also deny us, for he cannot deny himself. And so if we continue in our denial of him, there's language uh, that Peter actually uses about denying the Lord who bought us, denying Jesus by their works. If we continue in our denials, we are showing that we are now finally telling the truth about our relationship with Jesus, that we don't belong to him. But we are reminded here that this failure does not have to be final, that even the failure of denying Jesus, like Peter did when he was afraid, when he was confused, he's going, ah, nope, I don't know that guy. That does not have to be the last word, and it doesn't have to be the last word for us. So for you who are very aware of how you have denied Jesus this week, A way that you didn't speak up when you knew the Spirit was prompting you to do it. A way that you went along with what everyone else at work does that you know is not what Jesus would have you do. That is in direct disobedience to his commands. But everybody does it. It's fine. If you're feeling that right now, you can come home. You can repent right now and turn from that sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this note at the end of the story that when we fall, we can repent. It's not a license to go out and sin. It's like, well, I can always repent later. It's not that, but it is an invitation to those who are stuck in sin that today can be your day to come home. There is forgiveness, full forgiveness, and complete restoration for you in Jesus. We must be ready to stand with Jesus. And when we fall, we can come to him and know that we have his forgiveness. He loves us. He gave his life for us. He hears us. He prays for us. He's with us even now by His Spirit, and He's coming back for us. Let's pray. Father, we confess that like Peter, we have denied Jesus by failing to identify with Him when it's hard. That where it seems like it's going to cost us something socially, we count the cost And sometimes decide that you are not worth it. We confess that we are often fearful to speak up. And to share the gospel with our friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Forgive us for these denials and others like them. Denials in word and in action. According to your great mercy. According to your steadfast love that was shown To us on the cross we pray in Jesus' name, amen.